All right. So the pre the preheat. What's the most es What's the most esoteric food you've ever had? Okay. Chicken noodle soup. Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name's Travis. And this is Luke. We are Southern Men De-Reconstructing the South. <laughs> but, but it was for the soul. Chicken noodle soup. That's what I'm soul. saying. It's not even being funny. Like, I got chicken it. noodle soup. Like, it, real... No, I'm like... So, not even being funny right now. Real chicken noodle soup. Like, that's something that's magical, dude. Okay. Just, it's a it like you're you're over there sick hacking up hacking up along, you know, and you just get that really good bowl and the smell and just cuts through all the the nonsense going in your nose and just amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be made with real chickens. That's the secret. You got to get yes. that bone broth. In. Yes. And and in my opinion, egg noodles. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. Oh man, my grandma used to make that with egg noodles. So good. And I don't so know if good. I can top that. I don't know if I can top chicken noodle soup now. <laughs> JP over there laughing because he thinks I'm being funny, and then. Well, you went you well, went I, full into the es- esoterica, so there you go. Yeah, I did. I did. I had you know I had to throw out some kind of kind of bait to just to see where was that. Oh man, that is a good oh. <laughs> man. I love soup. Soup's a good soup's a good one. So are, are we just like getting into esoteric stuff or what? I don't really know what we're doing. I'm over here on Twitter right now. Oh, he's too. <laughs> he, my bad. He's too busy sending a tweet. This is this is the new that newfangled social media crap that you're not really social anymore. That's he's over there on Twitters. Well, I mean, I just, I just don't know where. <laughs> I just don't. We we don't really have a game plan if we're not talking about Gnosticism. Yeah. It's that daggum Twitter. I mean, there's esotericism with the Gnosticism. There's also, like, alchemy, because that's what brewing is. Or or cooking. Cooking is pretty esoteric, too. I mean, if you think about it, alchemy's just... Alchemy's esoteric AF. Anyways, I was listening to Canon Plus, and it's an app, right? And had on there the commons with um, Douglas Wilson... And essentially, he was talking about Lewis, right? As he saw, you know, Lewis would have saw, with his medieval mind that he had, um, would have saw alchemy the same way he would have saw, like, magic and sorcery. How they're trying to twist okay. reality reality into actually, like, fit what we want. And, um, I mean, we can really draw another parallel straight to transhumanism at that point. But, um, I thought, anyways, you said alchemy, so, yeah, just bring up what I... Last learned about alchemy. 
interestingly enough, there's only been, I think, I believe, I learned this not too long ago, the only saint to be un, I don't know how to say it, uncanonized, decanonized, or just, I, I guess you could say fired. So essentially, that's what that's what happened. Saint Clement of Alexandria got fired by both the Catholic and Orthodox Church because of his controversies, and he was big into alchemy. Really, I've always heard Alexandra like spoken of highly. I thought. Yep, Clement got his got kicked to the curb. He lost his bona fides. I mean, it's kind of sweet though because he was. He was awesome enough to become a saint, and basically he was a wizard on top of it. It's kind of sweet. What well, he yep. just making up like oh alchemy, alchemy. <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got that Boston butt rub up in there, and there's like oh that's alchemy. <laughs> Anything tastes that good's got to be magical. It's too Bro, good. Got- it's too good. <laughs> you got to go to that country that looks like a boot. Then you, you then you'll be okay. Um, I would view a lot of things the same way Lewis did. Uh, in, in, okay, let me rephrase that. I would view a lot of the things that the alchemists were doing, and a lot of the things that we do today, as wizardry. Um. Mm. So, um. The, the biggest one that I like to talk about is, um, like, social media stati- statisticians. Um, I, I straight up call uh, the Silicon Valley guys, I call anybody who's a statistician, I call them sorcerers, because that's exactly what they are. Um, the, the, whole, the whole idea is to frame the way that people view reality and thus to inform how the people act. And the whole framework, the inception, and the delivery is a warping of the perception of reality to cast a spell upon the people to get them to act in the way that you desire them to act. Is why poles are pulled... Because, you know, you want the, the, the favor of the masses, right? Like this ad populum argument that we give. Mm. But if you look into the way that the, the, the questions are designed on these questionnaires for the polls, um, it twists the mm. answer to where you can ask a question in such a way that you can get a positive a positive response when the public opinion is actually in the negative. Snap. Um, so it's yeah, just another no, form 100%. Of lying. Yeah. It it's bigger than that though, because what what you're doing is you're lying with the air of legitimacy. And you're doing so in such a way that for someone to even detect your lie, they have to dig into the minutia of your lie. 
and most people don't even have the perception or the frame of thought to understand that that element of reality exists. They don't understand the layers behind your presentation. They only know what you say. Um, and this is, this is especially effective on people with very low IQs who can't see that because they're, they're literally unable to go beyond that surface level presentation. I like that. I like that a lot. That was uh, like one of my definite wake up calls. All that data they collect, they know you better than you do. I mean, I would imagine that the, that the AI could probably predict your subconscious far better than you actually could. Which is dangerous because we can actually, um, inf you know, they, they say influence elections, but they can influence a lot more than that. They can influence, you know, panic buying. They can influence riots, et cetera, and et cetera. You know? And people will uh, sit I brought there. this up with... Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Here you go. So I brought this up with uh, with uh, JJ when we were doing that interview. Um, so uh, the the video game market, people don't think about this. You know, all oh, that's kid stuff, right? So they have a, a an algorithm within a video game that will detect when you're inebriated through your actions. And then we'll feed you um, ads when you are most either frustrated with the game and you're inebriated, or um, we'll set you up with people. So matchmaking, like you're, you're going to go play a game, right? So they want you to buy X product. So as... It'll learn your behaviors. You'll go out, play a few games. You'll start losing. They'll match make you with people that are better than you so that you'll continue to lose. And then they'll offer you a product while you're both frustrated with gameplay and you're drunk. They'll offer you a product that will help you play the game better. And because you're impaired, physically impaired, and you're frustrated, you're more inclined to buy the product. That is being applied in your Facebook algorithms. So Facebook is going to take your phone number. It's going to take your uh, location. It's going to take your... Um, uh, the friends that you have, and then it's going to draw social connections and identity connections and lay them over other people. So it wants to see how close you are to other people. It takes your speech patterns. It takes your your posting frequency, like all of the stuff. So you open up a fake Facebook account, if you just 
type the same way, and you get a few of the same friends, they know that it's you. With a high degree of certainty, they know it's you. Or they at least know that you're like you. And have the same friend groups. Which means they'll indirectly come to the conclusion that it's you. Now, they know who you are. They're tracking what you do. They're taking all of this metadata that you're giving them from your devices, from your, you know, whatever information you voluntarily gave to Facebook any time in the past. They have all that data. They're going to use it. And then they in intentionally curate the data that you have, that, that you get in Facebook. Google does the same thing. They, they, so any news that you're seeing, any um, uh, statuses that you're seeing, um, they, they, can, they can personally moderate what you see to the intimate detail. And they don't need a person to do it. They do it algorithmically. And so what they'll do is they'll say to their algorithm somehow, hey, I want a certain subset of the population to do this. And so their algorithm will find all of your um, proclivities, all the people with proclivities toward a certain thing. And it'll personally curate their information to direct them to that position or to direct them to that action. And the weird thing is, is they're not only doing it to the people on Facebook. If you, like, say if you, your wife has a Facebook and you've never had one, if you had one, it's a totally different story. If you've never had one, they will start creating a gray file on you to where they're, you know, yep. basically pulling out, oh, well, she took a picture with him there. Boom, we've got his picture. And then this is what they're, like, they don't have as much information on you. They do have a lot. The day before uh, Facebook was launched, the CIA discarded a plan to have a complete profile breakdown of every single American. So tell me Facebook is not a glowy trap. Anyways. Well, well it is, and everybody kind of fell for it. Yeah, it, it really is, and it's... The best one like so you know the cia has been involved in this type of sorcery for a long time i mean look through the um mk ultra files look through uh operation mockingbird all of this stuff it's all engineering right it's all population engineering and it's just been slowly rolled out over time this is like their greatest weapon you know not their greatest weapon their greatest tool they're using as a weapon um that the CIA has been wanting. And the only thing that would be better than what they actually have now is like a Neuralink inside your brain. You know? Well, they're getting at that point. Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they've, they're already there for the most part. We're already and tucked inside the Matrix because we carry these flipping phones around. JP over here trying to delete his Facebook history. <laughs> Oops. I got so bad, I got kicked off. <laughs> so I've never yeah, gotten I a get... permanent band. 
never gotten a permanent band. How did you get one and I never did? I don't know. <laughs> I just I I edgy. just used the right word. Oh, don't. I mean, I ne- I didn't really do many towers or totem poles. Oh no no no! I said faggot, not that word. Oh, well, that's also that's not nah. That's oh no, not that bad that, of a that's word. you a, that's you blaspheming one of their gods. You're blaspheming oh, yeah, oh. their holy god of LGBTQism. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. I always forget yeah, I, about I'm, that. Part. I make people uncomfortable with that word, but it's well, probably one of my favorite words. Twenty-first century version of sodomite. Yep. And Malakos. And Malako. In in maliciousness. <laughs> uh, I, I I wouldn't necessarily say that we do it maliciously. I mean, no. I, I don't hate the homo, but the it's homo needs to repent. It's like, hey, buddy, well, here, you gotta here's... you gotta stop playing with sausages. <laughs> um, You're not Italian. So this is kind of where. This, this is... <laughs> This is kind of where I'm coming from, right? So the whole point is you don't want to say the faggot word because you're going it, – it, it's a, it's an it's an offensive word, right? And, you know, I said it to be edgy most of the time, you know. But like this – I think it was last year, Travis, when I really started saying this. Um, you know, they, they want your kid to cut his dick off. Like, let's be honest here, right? And the people who want you to your kid to cut his dick off are the people who are offended because you called them a bad word. So this um, aversion to offending people who want you your kid to cut his dick off um, is kind of this really boomerish thing. Like, I know they want to destroy you, and they want to destroy your children, and they want your kid, your kids to turn into these suicidal, uh, indoctrinated, um, Gnostic puppets. But we we shouldn't be mean to them. So it's kind of my rebellion against that right what's like you're you're more concerned about me saying a word that that makes them cry than you are the fact that they want your child to cut his dick off so not only am i using it to insult these people who are evil and want to attack children but i'm also calling out the people who are supposedly on the right but they're more concerned with your tone than they are the fact that they're in war with people who hate them and want to destroy them and won't actually do anything remotely offensive <coughs> to fight back. Like, that's kind of my my take on it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's a, lot, there's a whole lot of controlled opposition going on too like it's so it's so prevalent 
Um, and I think it was said earlier where all those algorithms and all those data points are used to call a population with their proclivities or with their tendencies towards something. Well, I mean, what better way to do it than identity politics? Because that's putting people or slapping labels on people and going, oh, well, we know we know we can control this person with this word. We can control this person if they say this word. And well, if they say this word, well, then we can go after the full tilt. And the person that's quote unquote protected, well, we don't really care about them either. As long as we, you know, make money off of them, they're fine. But once uh once we don't like what they're saying or what they're doing, we can just, you know, they can just move on and find another identity to slap a label on something and call it whatever they want to call it, right? Well, I mean the 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 Gnostics, the the demons have they like they're fully aware about how this this kind of magic works, right? Um, you, you want to see a visceral reaction from people? Call them racist. Again, it's not as prevalent as it is anymore, like it used to be. Um, but you, you want to stop somebody cold in the middle of a conversation? Call them racist. I've, I've done that. You know, you're in the middle of a conversation. You just dead drop it, like deadpan it. You know, they'll make a st- they'll make a regular comment. You know, oh, I went down to the store and I got this, you know, this cheese or whatever. Oh, that's pretty racist. And like they'll they'll visibly stop and you'll see their gears turning, trying to figure out like, oh my god, are they racist? Or what was racist about me getting cheese? Like the fact that it holds that kind of power over people, that it can stop you dead in the in the middle of a conversation. That, that that accusation elicits more than a mild chuckle and a continuing of your story. Like, that's real power. And that's been... Um, that, that's been... Uh, uh, socially reinforced. Like, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a brainwashed thing. You have a Pavlovian response to it. That, that's what that is. So it's it's literally con- confronting the stuff. It's literally like Alex Jones screaming into the mic, break the conditioning, right? Because you have to do that. But it's not screaming into a microphone on the internet. It's, you know, when somebody talks about going to the store and getting cheese, you call that racist. And when they walk across the street, you call walking across the street racist. And when you do it 15, 17, 20 times over the course of a few months, you'll just elicit a chuckle after that because it's stupid. It's, it's laughable. Um, and so the right has actually picked up on this in the last, I don't know, four or five years where they just make fun of people calling things racist so it doesn't have near the effect that it used to um but i I can still do that to you know 
people in my family, uh, certain certain members of my family, if I just call them racist out of nowhere, like they'll visibly stop the conversation and their mind will be racing to find out how they've been racist. Um, and I, and I, I do that because it's, I, I do that in conversations because it, if, if you do that in a humorous way, you can end up breaking that response where they don't go through and do that. Unless it's being reinforced. There's not really anything. Well, no, but isn't that just a good form of sorcery though? And, and in all honesty, I don't think a lot of Christians understand magic, right? So they they all magic is evil, and then they demystify the Lord's Supper, baptism, or the preaching of the word, or prayer. So they they rejected they rejected all magic altogether. Therefore, everything is simple, simply you know materialistic. Well, I mean, if you if you talk about or you try to um, interact with anything spiritually, they they'll call you a demon. Right, and, and that's despite the fact that you can't really distinguish between the natural and the supernatural. This is this is where I've been going, and when in our conversations, I know um, in our little private chat, uh, you know, you, we we've had this conversation for a little while now. Um, you know, right now I'm at the point where I see empiricism itself as the enemy, and we've become so geared towards that that any interaction with the supernatural is deemed evil. Are you talking Unless, like? Oh, are you talking like, like empiricism is like like a drive away from? Oh, I. You said there's no distinguishment between the natural and the supernatural. So, I th- I think there is, although the veil is pretty thin. But there's there's a lot of what am I looking for? Like that that empiricism or that need for data, you know, that need to gather that data to to prove it. You think that's definitely got a factor to it? Okay, so empiricism is the exclusive um, empiricism is a an epistemological position that only allows evidence through sense perception temporal physical naturally derived sense perception let me let me say that uh, it completely removes the possibility, potentiality, or acceptance of the supernatural as a legitimate form of evidence. Hmm. Any discipline that does that, even if it's the natural sciences, is actually warping the way that you see reality. Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean that you don't have rigorous standards. This doesn't mean that you don't test things. The testing... Um, the desire for data that's accurate, like all of these things are good. Like I'm not saying mm-hmm. having a, a, a rigorous understanding of reality is bad. I'm specifically dealing with uh, the idea that you can understand the natural without understanding the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Or 
understanding the natural um, without incorporating the supernatural influences or the spirit of the thing that you're trying to understand. You mm-hmm. do not understand the thing because you understand the mechanics of the thing. You only understand the thing when you understand the spirit of the thing. And those are two different things. They are. Empiricism certainly. only deals with the mechanics. Only. Yeah. Well, because our bodies, it, are bio, our bodies are biomechanical, but what fills it but a soul. Well, but it's it your your see it your body is not just biomechanical. Yeah. If you go and look at the individual cells in your body, you open that up, right? The mechanisms, the actual gears and you know, proverbial gears and cogs and all that other good stuff, right? All the things that are interacting, it, it is not. Like a pocket watch, let's say. So pocket watch is, is really uh, intricate, small, uh, mechanically um, precise thing. That is not what your cell is like. Your cell is like a city with individual organelles that are operating based off some form of innate knowledge that the organelles themselves understand the thing that they're doing. Mm. They understand it intimately. And the individual constituent parts are not enough. The physical parts and the mechanics of their movements are not enough to explain how those organelles know how to do what they're doing. When, when the, the RNA is being used the mRNA is being used to replicate DNA during the process of cell division. All of the pieces from the, the, the reader, the splitter, I'm calling them this because I don't know the, the technical names of them, like uh, the, the transports that bring the, the, um, uh, the proteins to and from you know, the, 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 the factories, let's call them, of, of additional DNA, all of those individual pieces, it, there is not coding within the proteins of those individual organelles that tells them how to do what they're doing. There's just the mechanics enabling them to do it. So the spirit of the thing is this supernatural ability of these organelles to understand what they're doing. I'm not calling them sentient per se. What I'm saying is that these things innately understand what they're doing. This is a form of knowledge that isn't bestowed by the bioorganics of the things. It's something in addition to that. And you can get that detailed and then go all the way up to celestial mechanics, Mm. how the planets interact with one another. There's a nature to these things. There's a spirit to them. And you can dig into all the mechanics of celestial mechanics. You can get to the the, uh, electromagnetic interactions between the planets and the sun. You can get into the the dark matter and all this other nonsense that you know that that you have to deal with with celestial mechanics, but you don't understand the things until you understand the spirits of the thing. 
why, why are there links between Saturn and the Sun? Electromagnetic links. So Saturn goes around the Sun in an orbit. Mm-hmm. Right? But there's an electromagnetic loop that goes from the top of Saturn around through the Sun and then back through the bottom of Saturn. It's a polar thing. It's the same thing with the, the moon uh, the moon and the earth by the way same kind of interaction but that electromagnetic uh, um, connection is duplicated with the many moons around Saturn itself and they interact with one another uh, there's there's some there's some theories that this this electromagnetic magnetic interaction is actually what helps kickstart um, uh, the cores of planets, that it's not gravitational warping of the planet, that it's actual, gra- it, it's the electromagnetic distortion of the, of the cores of planets that get it actually going, it makes it red hot and molten. Maybe it's some interaction between the two, we don't know. The point, the point I'm making is that there's a lot more things going on, and the spirit of the thing is more than the sum of the mechanical parts of the thing. Mm-hmm. How it interacts with the total sum is bigger than that. Mm. And you can't mechanically explain that because it's not mechanical. The, the point I'm getting at is like where we think of things like a clock, but it's not really like a clock. They're like, they're like small cities. Right. Like all the, there, there should be a lot more chaos in the system, but there's something that's immaterial that flows through all of these things that doesn't just hold these things together, but allows them to interact in ways that we don't expect and we don't understand, frankly. So like when we talk about like alchemy as being sorcery, you're, what you're doing is you're manipulating the spirit of the thing to get it to do what you want it to do. And you can do that for good reasons, or you can do that for evil reasons, right? So it's not as if you interacting with nature in this way is inherently bad. It's just that it isn't purely mechanical. You you have to create you have to create a small ecosystem to get composting to work. You have to act in accordance with the nature of the materials that you're throwing in your compost pile, right? I mean, that that's, that's you manipulating reality to get it to do what you want it to do. This is what humans do all the time. And we think of this as a you know, pretty mundane thing, but no, man. Your ability to understand that, to interact with that, is a God-given ability. You didn't just learn a, a nifty trick. You're actually manipulating reality itself. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to dixiepolis at protonmail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, And you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all.
Sie.